It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And, of course, this weekend, the Masters. We weren't quite sure whether we would be coming on the air talking about whether we were going to finish the Masters on a Monday for the first time since 1983. But, Michael Brauner, we did not have to worry about that. They were able to get the holes in. And not a surprising winner coming out of this weekend's Masters Golf Tournament. John Rahm, one that you picked to win the Masters coming in as a betting favorite for most. But he had his work cut out for him and he was able to find a way to get it done. Yeah, I'll, I'll take my victory lap on that one. I, I for probably the first time I've predicted a major winner correctly. It also just so happens to be the first one on this specific program, first major that we've had uh, since the inception of the final drive. So, you know, one for one. Uh, I'd go ahead and ask me in a month who wins the PGA Championship maybe and maybe place a little ticket on it if you drive to Biloxi. But, no, that being said, Rom, he's the best player in the world. It's, it's a reason why I picked him. He's now, once again, the world number one. I was very happy to see it. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Brooks Kepka to all, all live stuff aside, which is, and we'll get into that angle with it as well. But, uh, you know, and Kepka, yeah, he shot a 75 on Sunday when he was leading the Masters by, well, it, it was a little complicated because they finished a lot of round three going into Sunday. So technically going into Sunday, he was up by four shots, but by the start of round four, I believe that lead was two shots. And then he went and shot a 75 in the fourth round. And uh, I believe Rom shot a 69 and that's just not going to get it done on master Sunday. Well, the, the biggest thing that I think a lot of the viewers wanted to know, and we're looking forward to watching, of course, we had plays suspended on Friday and as we left the show, we didn't know whether Saturday's Masters would be a wash. Saturday was a bummer. <laughs> or not. And in the morning time, it really was. And I was surprised that they were able to get in the number of holes that were played yeah, they on got, Saturday the prior leader, to canceling. The last group on Saturday, I believe, got in like six or seven holes, something like that. And then they announced the rain delay. It was weird because there wasn't lightning or anything. So it looked like they were kind of just going to play through the rain uh yeah specifically at augusta they have a like systems under the greens that that uh do a good job to uh keep the moisture at bay and kind of regulate what's going on in the greens but i guess the rain just got to be too much and then probably it, it was the worst too uh, just to come, something to complain about the tv coverage didn't actually start until two o'clock so you're watching via stream and then jim nance finally comes on at two o'clock the delay literally happened at 2 15 and then 15 minutes after the delay happens they, they say play is suspended for the rest of the day so got a good 15 minutes on saturday of actual live coverage before they suspend 
suspended play for the day. But it just made for an epic day on Sunday. Woke up early. CBS made the good decision to actually broadcast the entire day of golf on Sunday, which left for a, a two-hour gap where I didn't really know what to do with myself. But woke up nice and early on Sunday. Watched all the coverage. You know, Rom was uh, Rom closed the gap very quickly. Uh, made it from a four-stroke lead for Kepka to a two-stroke lead, and then uh, that's about what it stayed going into the fourth round. Again, it was all played on Sunday. It was a marathon, thirty holes of golf for these guys. But that's you know, Sam Bennett, by the way. Uh, he goes from Augusta now. I believe he's playing 36 holes of golf today in College Station, and he has to carry his own bag in, like, some special Aggie event. But here's the biggest thing to me from from a Masters standpoint. You were able to finish on your traditional Easter Sunday or your traditional yeah, Sunday great. finish, and Rom, he does win his second-ever major. And I think that as a Spaniard that he's taken a lot of pride and being a Spaniard, but the the headlines coming in to the Masters were were really going to be live versus the PGA mm -hmm. and Phil Mickelson. I mentioned on Friday was he going to let his golf do the talking for him? Well, there was no question that that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, I and <laughs> the live thing it, it's so funny. I everyone choose no matter what your opinion is uh, on the matter of live and and I saw a lot of people saying oh Kepka is used to playing 54 holes which is just the weakest take ever because Phil 52 year old Phil Mickelson showed up on Sunday and shot a 66 which I believe is the lowest round ever for someone of his age in, in uh, at the Masters and so it just I mean, Kepka you can say without involving the live stuff he just played a bad round on Sunday it happens uh, but that all being said it was pretty glorious for the golf purists of the world that three out of the top five were live guys in Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, and even the the biggest villain in the world of golf, Patrick Reed, finds a way to sneak into the top five on Sunday, which was just pretty phenomenal stuff. And then Rory McIlroy, you know he's watching on Sunday. You know he's just seething watching Phil just uh, carve up Augusta on Sunday. Well, when you don't make the cut line, you have no choice but to watch golf unless you took a flight out and decided to go home and get ready for your next tournament. But Tiger, in in, in the tournament, you could, you could say on Thursday he was okay. I think he was two over after the first day. And you knew by Saturday, especially when that cold weather came in and you saw the rain pounding, I was going to be shocked if he was going to finish the tournament, and of course he winds up withdrawing. Yeah, that was one of the tougher things to see. I, the The video that was circulating Twitter was Tiger not even being able to walk, real, and I guess it was an aggravated plantar, fasci however you pronounce fasciitis. that, fasciitis, uh, and I, that was ultimately the reason for the withdrawal he just wasn't healthy enough to to play for four rounds uh, and I hate to say it but it probably would have been better for him had he actually been cut it's not like he was in any kind of contention on Saturday or Sunday the conditions on Saturday were just absolutely brutal and as you saw Tiger couldn't even walk when the delay came he, Tiger might have had to withdraw on Saturday. I, I think he only had a couple holes left, if not only one. But he wasn't going to be able to finish. I mean, he couldn't. He round. couldn't walk. He he was. It's he said he had some really nice shots this weekend, but it, it really is just to the point. Like I said last week, like I hope I'm wrong on this, but 
I just don't think the guy's ever ever going to win anything meaningful again. I, I, he struggles to walk 18 holes, let alone 17, 72 holes. And, I mean, how can you hold up with a guy like John Rahm or Brooks Kepka or any of these young, strong guys for 72 holes? You just, you just can't. You, I mean, the swing is still there. We saw him make some phenomenal shots, but... It's sad to see at this point, but the guy, the guy can't move anymore. It, that's the biggest thing for Tiger Woods. And in regards to, you know, again, does he move the golf needle? Of course he does, without question. There's so many people that want to see him make the cut and be in contention, and that includes myself. But when you start looking at what that accident took away from him and him really lucky to be alive much less able to swing a golf club just the fact that he's able to make the cut in and of itself was miraculous but Brooks Kepka, I, I think that that was the storyline coming into your last day of play not the fact that Phil Mickelson was going to race up the leaderboards in the last yeah. two days of play but Kepka was going to hold off Rom, and that's what I think a lot of people did expect. And I don't know if you call it a choke job or just really feeling the competition breathing down your neck because when you have an opportunity to continue to, to hold on to the lead and you, and you know the footsteps are coming behind you, why do you think – or what do you think kept Kepka from staying atop and ahead of Rom? I've been going back and forth on this one a little bit. I I don't want to necessarily use the word choke jaw. I mean, Kepka is go before this. He was 4-0 uh when leading going into Sunday at a major. That's what all four of his major titles he's pretty much led the whole and you knew he was going to get it done. I just it's hard not to say that word because he did shoot a 75 on Sunday that being said I, I I don't know how much you watched on Sunday he didn't play horrible by any means and and it wasn't like Rom played spectacularly he played pretty well it was it, it was just one of those things where sometimes golf is like that you, you some a couple putts don't fall here and there uh and a couple putts fall for Rom and all of a sudden your your four shot lead is gone and you know that probably it's the best player in the world breathing down your neck right there and it seemed like the pressure got turned up pretty early in the day on Kepka it felt pretty early on that Rom was going to seize control of this tournament and by the back nine it was over, honestly, by by uh, by Rom's birdie on fourteen, which was really probably the shot of the tournament uh, when he shot kind of kind of off the pine straw, put it to about five feet and put it for birdie. That was it. I mean, that 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 was that was kind of the final seal uh, in in Rom winning his green jacket. It's just. For Kepka and man, I I mean no one no one's more upset about this than him and he he'd tell you he choked. I just I don't know. I I didn't think he was horrible. There have certainly been worse major collapses than what Brooks Kepka did yesterday. Phil Mickelson's next golf tournament will be at Grange Golf Club in Australia. And I, I think that Phil he, he made a reckoning for himself. We mentioned at the champions dinner, not a word spoken. And he was going to let his club speak for him. But seeing Phil Mickelson having an opportunity to really battle up on the leaderboard, that to me, that was great in and of itself. And if there was a disappointment or one shocking statistic, what, what would you think that or who would you say it would have been 
because I think it's McElroy. I, I was question. about I was about to say that uh, Rory getting cut. I, I mean, he's Rory's had a pretty good year. He's he's actually played really well, and Rory's one of those guys where when he is at his best, he's really tough to beat. He's arguably the best player in the world when he's at his best, and he still needs that green jacket for the career Grand Slam. I believe only five guys ever have done it. And so uh, this is the one that Rory wants more than anything. He he had a uh, he had a major collapse, and what was it? 2011, 2012, something like that, uh, where he where which he led by five or six shots on Sunday. It was way worse than what Kepka did yesterday, and he ultimately collapsed. But yeah, I mean for Rory to uh, especially after in this year where. You know, he, he's given all this flack to live. He's He's been, quote-unquote, the ambassador for the game of golf. He really is the face of the PGA Tour. Uh, he, he's very publicly stated how against live he is. For him to, like, have a plus five, plus six cut at the Masters and three live guys to finish top five, it's a tough look for Rory. I, I don't know how you how you come. I mean, I'm sure he'll be fine, but he's actually not playing next week at uh, at the Heritage Tournament. Right, and RBC Heritage. He, he, he withdrew from that. I, I'm sure he's struggling mentally a little bit. Golf, obviously, a very mental game, so so we'll see. I mean, he'll. I'm sure he'll be in contention at the PGA Championship next, next month or in two months, but I, it's a tough look for Rory after after everything that has happened in the world of golf this year for him to get cut at the Masters and these live guys to perform so well. Well, Sam Bennett, you mentioned having his low amateur status win at the Masters. That That's huge for someone of his age. And like you say, having to carry his own bags at the next tournament, I think that's interesting too. I but think he did end up withdrawing from that. It was weird. I don't know if you watched the, the green jacket ceremony yesterday. They, uh, it, he said he he thinks he's gonna play. I mean, John John Rahm was laughing a little bit when he was when uh, Jim Nance is like, so Sam, like, you have to go back to school now. And it's I mean, just imagine <laughs> that you're the low amateur at the U.S. at the uh, at the Masters. Everyone knows your name, knows your face. Then you just gotta go back to school, carry your own bag for 36 holes. I'd probably say, you know what? I think I'm gonna take this tournament off. Take a take maybe a week to collect myself a little bit. Well, Rahm connect. Uh, collects that 2.7 million dollars that purse is pretty pin you know pretty full for him and again he earned it and i think this being his second major win we'll see if he can pull it off and continue to build off of that he's gonna he's gonna by the, by the time it's all said and done rom will have 10 majors I, i'm pretty confident saying that He's well, so good. He, he, you know, he he hopes that you're his PR guy because you 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 spoke him into existence this too. weekend for sure. Four stroke win for Rom at the Masters and coming back on the other side of the final drive. Odell's big money deal. Is he worth it? We'll talk about it next year on the final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. The final drive with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner here on WNSP 105.5, and at 3.30, don't forget we have Tony Sakalis from Tide Illustrated talking all things Alabama, and of course, outside of Alabama, there's some big money football that is being passed around as far as 
what free agents are being offered right now. And Odell Beckham Jr., he officially signs with the Baltimore Ravens, who don't even have a quarterback or are really not sure who is going to be throwing Odell Beckham Jr., the quarterback. They hope it's Lamar Jackson. And I think that for $18 million, he wants the best man to throw in the football. But Baltimore... <laughs> Kind well, of for eighteen shocking. million dollars, he'd probably have uh, you know <laughs> he'd throw the football himself for eighteen million dollars. Fifteen million guaranteed by Baltimore, and when you start looking at Odell Beckham Jr., of course OBJ comes storming onto the scene as a rookie with the Giants and has thirteen hundred and five receiving yards, Mike, as a rookie, and then in year two. Okay, can you top this? He has 1,400 yards receiving. And then in year three, a slight dip at 1,367. But then winds up getting that huge contract with the Giants and getting traded to the Cleveland Browns and wanted to prove himself. But Odell Beckham Jr., is he worth $15 million guaranteed after not even playing a snap in the National Football League last year? Well, if he gets Lamar to play on the franchise tag, probably. An interesting angle of this is that Ian Rappaport's now reporting as of a couple hours ago that Lamar took a pretty active role in the recruitment of Odell to the Ravens. So, I mean, what does that tell you right there? Lamar probably anticipates being the quarterback of the Ravens. Uh, Whether that means they get a long-term deal done or not, I don't know. That's another question, but... I, I think, you know, what did Valerie Preactor said when we had her on, and I, I told her to predict what's going to happen here. She said that she thinks Lamar is going to end up playing this season on that exclusive tag for the Ravens. It's, again, it's not like it's chump change for Lamar. It's $32 million he's going to make this year if he does play on that tag. So uh, if you're the Ravens, I, it's not like you're handing Odell a four-year deal for $60 million. You're handing him a one-year deal for 15 could be up to 18 if he hits, I'm sure, difficult incentives to hit. Uh, but I think that's top receiver in the league money. Last time Odell was on the field healthy, I guess, yeah, I mean, he was dominating the Super Bowl, so I guess you could say he was a top receiver in the league. If he does return to that form and gives the Ravens something they really haven't had in the entire career of Lamar Jackson, then, yeah, I would say he is worth a one-year $15 million deal or $18 million. Uh, if he's not what he once was, then then this will look really bad, but... The fact that it's a one-year deal, I, I think, makes it worth the risk for Baltimore. It's like, one, it's going to make Lamar Jackson happy and probably more inclined to play on the tag, even if you can't get that long-term deal done. Two, it's a one-year deal, so even if it doesn't go well, Lamar's probably your quarterback either way, so what, what difference does it really make there? Well, I know he has an advocate now for him in Marlon Humphrey, and Marlon Humphrey being the former pro bowler, uh, for the Ravens, current Pro Bowler for the Ravens, f- former current Crimson Tide member. I-, I think that when you have somebody on the defensive side of the ball that you're going to battle every day, that's going to make you earn all of the money that you're going to earn, I think the biggest thing for Odell is just to stay healthy. And I think the yeah. Ravens can become an immediate contender because on their roster they don't have any – thousand yard receivers Michael and Odell has five of them now true enough he hasn't had double digits from a receiving touchdown standpoint since 2016 his last year with the Giants 
But I still think from a production standpoint, he showed his explosiveness with the Rams in his short time there and definitely was a factor going into when the Rams won the Super Bowl. Yeah, again, you know, the guy was dominating the Super Bowl before he tore his ACL in said Super Bowl. So you can't say he wasn't productive the last time he was healthy on the field. Now, that's a major knee injury, and and almost two years ago now we're talking about at this point. So I'd like to see some production before I say that this is a great deal. But if I'm the Ravens, I I, I can't say I wouldn't make this deal if, if I'm the Ravens GM. Again, Lamar was the guy recruiting him. Uh, that you want Lamar back. This is going the biggest gripe Lamar's had in Baltimore is that they haven't surrounded him with talent. You go get the best free agent wide receiver available. You still have Mark Andrews. You still have Rashad Bateman. They also signed, you know, think think this, uh, think of this what you will, but they signed Nelson Aguilar this offseason from the Patriots, who you know, he's a fine player, but I have my issues with him certainly. Uh, but all this being said, it's you know they're they're building a nice little offense in Baltimore. So if Lamar, it's like what's the alternative if you're Lamar at this point? It's looking like he's going to be in Baltimore this year. Well, you you just want to see the elite quarterbacks play because I if the Baltimore Ravens slap Lamar in the face and draft a quarterback, then that shows that Lamar Jackson is definitely not in the franchise's plans. And I think that that's what a lot of talk has been. Will the Ravens, because of the undecisiveness of Lamar or him not wanting to commit long-term, would you go ahead and slap him in the face and draft a quarterback anyway? Um, There's one situation that I would draft a quarterback if you're the Ravens. They have the 22nd pick in the draft. If Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker falls to 22, then yes, I would pull the trigger and draft Hendon Hooker. I don't think that's going to happen. I think someone is going to trade up for Hendon Hooker. I, I've had the debate a lot, and and we talked about this a lot on the Throw It Deep podcast last week, which you can get on WNSP now. Uh, the fact that I think Hendon Hooker is better than Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. He's probably not. He's not not going to go ahead of Anthony Richardson. Could go ahead of Will Levis. I think Will Levis is due for a draft day drop. We'll see what happens there. But if if Hooker drops to twenty two, yeah, I, I would pull that trigger. But if not. No, I I don't see a point there. Hendon Hooker is the phenomenal athletic quarterback for Tennessee, but he's coming off that ACL injury. This thing, so, if, but if you have Lamar for this year, then uh, you know Hooker can kind of sit, recover, learn. Uh, that that would kind of be in an ideal situation. There. So is it Lamar 2.0 no, with Hendon Hooker? I think I think Hendon Hooker is much more talented of a passer than Lamar, honestly, uh, and and not nearly as talented of a runner. But I I don't think he's a, really a scramble first guy he's good scrambling ability I don't think he's really a scramble first kind of guy and we'll see how that ACL affects him long term as well but uh, it certainly would be a fascinating type of mentorship if, if they were to go that route Odell Beckham Jr. 30 years of age more receiving yards than every receiver that's on the current Baltimore Ravens roster and to me that says a lot about the, the way that the Baltimore Ravens are looking to lead their future. Coming up next, Tony Sakalis from Tide Illustrated talking to us about all things Alabama. And, of course, Nick Saban, after his latest press conference in the spring, said he was extremely pleased with the way that the Tide's first scrimmage went at Bryant-Denny Stadium. 
even though no media was allowed, of course, everybody has inside sources. And one of our inside sources is Tony Sakalas. Coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, and we want to welcome in the managing editor for Tide Illustrated, Tony Sakalis, joining us this afternoon. Tony, how's it going in Roll Tide land? Hey, how's it going, man? It's absolutely wonderful here in Mobile, Alabama. Now, Alabama comes off of Friday's first live scrimmage, and surprisingly so, Nick Saban says that he was pleased with the overall production of both the offense and defensive scrimmage. Yeah, I think there's a lot to, to take from it, especially from some of the younger players at the scrimmage, from what I've heard. Uh, some of the you know freshmen or young up and coming breakout kind of players had had good scrimmages. You know there was a few people out on defense, so I think the offense kind of won the day. But you really can't fault the defense too much because you know they, they without uh, a few of their front seven plus uh, no Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, once those guys all come back, I think you're going to see a, a better defensive you know showing and probably even maybe. This week, I think you might see a better defensive showing once you get Kool-Aid back and um, you know some of those some of those other players back. Tony, what do you make of the report? Do you think it was an exaggeration about Jalen Milrow a thousand percent better? Uh, well, I mean, I was the one that made that report. So uh, there's a source I talked to. Um, you know, said that he, he had a really good day. You know, if you read the story, it also said that, you know, uh, Ty Simpson, you know, had a really good day as well. Um, I, I just think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Merrow does, has shown a lot of improvement. You know, it's really, he kind of got thrown into the fire. Um, and, and what Alabama asked for him, you know, with an offense that was designed around, you know, really, that, like, if you look at it, Bryce Young kind of bailed out Alabama a lot. It put a lot on Bryce Young's shoulders, so it was a very quarterback-centric offense. Um, for a first-year quarterback, I don't think it was really designed to, to have too much success. It wasn't built around a first-year quarterback. Um, you know, I think he's got all the tools to be successful. A lot of it was just touch. I, I think he's got that. It's just a matter of putting it together when it matters. Uh, you know, his, his deep balls have not been good uh, at the college level, but he's got a really strong arm. So he's capable of hitting those deep balls. It's just about getting that timing down. I think a lot of that comes with confidence. But it's not like they changed the offense to cater around Jalen Milrow. It's more so the player has to change to fit the offense, no? Uh, I think with any first-year quarterback, like, look, you're not going to be able to do with what you did with Bryce Young with either of these two guys. You can't just put, you know, um, yeah, and I don't think you'd want to. I think that's part of the reason why you brought in Tommy Reese is you want to have a more balanced offense. You want to have probably more, you know, easier options for either quarterback. You can't expect, you know, now can, are, the, are both these quarterbacks capable of making, you know, big-time plays? Sure, but I think at the same time, um, expecting them to do so on a regular basis like you had with Bryce Young would be kind of foolish. So um, I think you're going to have some safety valves, whether it be with passes to the running backs, with uh, passes to the tight ends. You're going to have a, a safer offense that will then open up 
opportunities to go downfield. Malvin will have those. They've got a, a bunch of, you know, sophomore receivers who can really fly. Plus, they brought in uh, a JUCO talent in uh, Malik Benson, who had a great scrimmage as well. So, um, there's a lot of promise there on the offense. It's going to be a little bit different. I don't think it's going to be totally, you know, night and day different, but I do think it will be, um, you know, an interesting look um, to see how, you know, if they're able to get more balance. And I think one of the things that, you know, when you look at this offense that might be different than next year or last year is um, the offensive line is going to be a lot better. And I think you're going to have some, you know, better play in the running back position. I know you're losing Jameer Gibbs, but I think as a whole, the running back position might be, you know, overall better because you're going to have an improved Jason McClellan. I think you've got a guy in Justice Higgins that's been really good. Uh, and then guys like Dan Miller and Roy Dow Williams are really hard runners as well. So that, that four, um, and then you're bringing in Richard Young, who's a top, you know, recruit over the summer. I mean, you're going to have five really good backs. I, I like what they have in the, in the backfield. We're speaking with Tony Sakalas, managing editor of Tide Illustrated. And, Tony, you mentioned the strength at running back for Alabama. Is that their strongest position out of all, whether it's O-line, D-line, secondary, or is it the fact that Kevin Steele is coming back to claim the SEC dominant defense that Alabama once had and Georgia has now kind of taken the bull by its horn, so to say, Outside of that 2020 season, now Georgia has taken the crown three out of the last four seasons as being the SEC's premier defense. I don't, I don't know if it's a matter of being a premier defense as much as it's just a matter of getting your identity back and not being as soft of a defense. I think you know you've seen Alabama just the, the tackling, the killer instinct hasn't been as you know present as it was in previous years. I think you know when you look at this team, it didn't. Last year's team, you know, it had talent on defense, but it didn't necessarily look like an Alabama defense. I think Kevin Steele, part of the reason why you bring him in is he's familiar with Saban's scheme, and he also he knows how to implement that style of defense. So, uh, you know, Alabama's got some hard hitters. They've got some talent. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how they put that together. It's a similar situation with the running back room where, yeah, you're losing, you know, probably one of maybe the best defender Alabama's ever had in Will Anderson. But if you look at the pass rushing, the rest of the unit is getting better. You could argue that the pass rushing might even be better without Will Anderson just because there's so much more, you know, the depth of talent is even better. Uh, obviously, there's not <laughs> – I don't think there's a person on Alabama's roster who can match Will Anderson. I don't know if there's very many people in the world that can match Will Anderson. Um, but I, I think, you know, from a depth standpoint and, and as many ways as Alabama can attack a defense, I think it's going to be really strong uh, in the whole front seven. Um, and then that should allow some of the, the youth in the secondary or maybe not even the youth, but maybe the uh, inexperience in the secondary, depending on how it all plays out. That that should allow them to grow, you know, if you're being if you're able to apply that pressure up front. Well, let's talk about the secondary. I want to ask you about Caleb Downs. Is he as good as advertised? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, he he's pretty good. Uh, now, the the problem with you know any player as a freshman as a safety, you know, the safety is a very intellectual position. It's a it's a position where you have to really have a good mastery of the defense. You know, you've seen players. Uh, Antonio Kite, for example, right, was came in as a safety. They had to move him down the cornerback because it's just, it's really hard to grasp the safety position, you know, uh, early on in your career. Um, so to start as a safety is is, is really 
you know, as a freshman safety is really tough. The thing about Caleb Downs is he's so, you know, he, he grows up, he grew up in a football family. He's a very, has a very high uh, football IQ. He's just so fluid in his movements. He's, you know, a, a workforce. He's a guy that's going to get down that system um, as, as quickly as he can. And I think he's well positioned to, to run, make a run for a starting role next year. It'd be interesting to see how everything plays out because, um, you just have to look. There's there's so many things you could you could put together this puzzle, you know, in the secondary. So many different ways that it just really uh, it, it could shift around, and then somebody gets bounced out of, of the rotation. So it's really gonna how can Alabama put the best five people on the field? Um, but I have a hard time imagining Caleb Downs is not one of those. Well, even outside of Caleb Downs, when you start looking at what Alabama is looking to accomplish this spring as a whole with new offensive coordinators, new defensive coordinators, really new coaches on the staff because even though Coach Steele is coming back as another stint with this tied defense, I think that Alabama is a work in progress and you can have Milrow, you can have Simpson coming back at quarterback, but Finding that identity, I don't think we'll know until the fall as to what the true identity of this Alabama team will be. And I don't think we'll know the quarterback until the fall, and that's always a, a, a big step. Um, you, you probably have a point. I mean, there's going to be some unproven. Uh, there's going to have to be some people that have to learn pretty fast. You know, that Texas game is going to be uh, a good early test. Yeah, I know it's in Bryant-Denny, but it's going to be a, a – a tough test early on. There's going to be some new faces in key positions likely. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, I keep on saying is the offensive line. You know, if you can get that down, I, I think that the identity of the offense will, will run through that. Um, to, you know, it's interesting to see Alabama has a ton of talent there. Um, they've, they've experimented early on with, you know, moving Darian Dalcourt to the guard position and keeping Seth McLaughlin at center. That would allow for more experience especially in a unit that's losing um, three starters. But you also got to look at, have a hard time not seeing someone like Caden Proctor, who's such a talented player. Maybe he breaks into the lineup by the fall, and I could switch things around again with him playing, you know, probably one of the guard spots as well. So um, I think if you're able to put the right five up there, I think you can build around that and you can, you can have more balance and, uh, you know, you implement that running game, which kind of, you know, makes Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson's world a lot easier and allows them to kind of progress nicely and kind of build into that starting role behind center. Well, also talking about a new starting role, there'll be a new role for some Alabama basketball assistant coaches. And Nate Oates has gone ahead and filled one of those assistant coaching positions, bringing in the head coach from Nichols State, Austin Clunch, but how far is he away from filling out the rest of his staff? Because recruiting time is so valuable this time of year, especially when you're coming off being the number one overall ranked team in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it'll definitely be important. I think, you know, you got to look, it's, it's, you know, you want to bring in these transfers and, you know, Alden has already had some players leaving the portal and they're going to have a very active transfer portal and you, you got to kind of have an assistant to, to, 
you have to have a program to sell them on, right? I mean, like you have to, they have to know what they're stepping into. And I think that Alvin is a little bit behind at the moment, but uh, Concha is a great hire. I think anytime you can get, a, a, you know, not only just a head coach, but a head coach that has had, you know, success, won, won his league title a couple of years, have that as an assistant. That was a, a really strong um, move. It hasn't been a great offseason for Alabama just because of the, uh, you know, the, the transfer activity, and they haven't really pounced on it yet. And then they lose both their assistants, or sorry, all, all three of their assistants. But at the same time, um, I think they're off. The, the, the one thing you can circle is that that one hire they have made is, is really strong. Talking to Tony Sakalis, managing editor of Tide Illustrated. Tony did. Uh, the Kalel Ware canceled visit, was that more to you he loved Indiana and is going to commit to Indiana? Because it lined up pretty exact with Petway announcing his departure, or was it just, oh, wow, this team has no assistance. Why would I go there? The center from uh, from Oregon? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I never really saw the fit there, I mean, to be honest with you. Is he going to play in the same uh, I think people saw him as, a, as kind of a cl- I, people saw him as a clowny replacement, even though he's listed as a center. I, maybe I'm not. I'm not sure he was though, and I think maybe he saw that. I, I actually don't know, but, but just from my own opinion, I, I you know I was always kind of puzzled by that one because I think he'd be more. Yes, he could play the clowny role. I, I just don't know if he's. I, I, you know, I see him as more of the the Bediaco role, and if you're that talented of a player, you're going to want to start, and I don't, I don't know if that was the, the perfect fit. I mean, I'm sure Alvin would have loved it, especially if you look at a guy like, you know, Charles, Charles can't play all 40 minutes, so, you know, having the two of them uh, to be able to kind of play off, they're, they're, he would get minutes. I'm just not sure if Alvin was just the ideal fit, and, you know, uh, maybe the the staff uh, played a role in that, but I think with the mat, you know, in my opinion, just the the combination of it not being the greatest fit, and then there's not really anyone there to talk him into it. Um, that that might have, you know, seen him slip away from Alabama. That's just my two cents on the situation, though. I think we've speculated on it, obviously, after Bidiaco and, and Quinterly, and now over the weekend, Mark Sears throws his name in the ring. It, it is, I, I expect Sears, as well as Bidiaco, to be back. Uh, is this just the new normal, that, that we kind of just have to wait until May and hope these guys come back? Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. And I wouldn't be surprised at this point, actually, if all three of them were back. It's kind of 50-50 with Javon Quinterly, but I wouldn't be totally shocked if he decides uh, to come back. Especially, look, I mean, if Alabama can't find a point guard, they're going to they're gonna need him to come back. And so uh, I I am leaning at the moment from, for Quinterly to come back. And that, that's not definite. And I definitely expect, Charles Bediaco and uh, Sears to, to, to Mark Sears to both come back as well. Well, Alabama's football program had the weekend off, and I know that there'll be plenty more Alabama football coverage and more stories to follow as this week comes up as far as the position battles are concerned. Tony, how can people follow all your great coverage of all Crimson Tide events? Yeah, the site's uh, tideillustrated.com or alabama.rivals.com. They'll take you to the same place. Uh, and like you said, we, it's, it's not just uh, football, but it's, it's basketball. And we'll have the full transfer coverage. We'll have coverage and notes from the scrimmage uh, this weekend. And, um, you know, we also have plenty of recruiting news right now, too. This is really recruiting season, you know, on top of everything. So it, it's, it's a busy time over at Tide Illustrated, and it's definitely a good time to check us out. 
Tony Sakalas joining us on the final drive, managing editor of Tide Illustrated. Thank you so much for your knowledge of the Crimson Tide, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. All right. Talk to you later. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055. What will be Alabama's strongest standpoint going into their practice today or really the rest of this spring season? Will it be the offense? Is the offense ahead of the defense or will the defense be able to bounce back? 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us here or hit us up in the WNSP app. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner joining you on this Monday. Hope everyone had an outstanding weekend. We're able to find all those Easter eggs that you were hunting for on yesterday. As Saturday it was a little bit cloudy and rainy, but I tell you, what is not cloudy is the fact that Nate Oates, even though he doesn't have a full assistant coaching staff, Alabama and Creighton playing one another. No, not in the NCAA tournament like we all had hoped, but we'll see Alabama and Creighton. Alabama will travel to Omaha, Nebraska next season, and that'll be a home-and-home series. And along with Alabama playing Arizona in Phoenix in December and, of course, participating in the Emerald Coast Classic in, in Florida, and that's just great competition, Michael, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, regardless of how their roster looks. You want to have those big-time opponents so your RPI can help you if you are struggling. Your non-conference schedule will be able to possibly propel you to the NCAA tournament. You know what I like, too, the fact that, as it appears, and there's nothing official that I've seen, it's going to be a true road game and actually at Creighton and then obviously hopefully the following year have a true home game against Creighton in uh, in Coleman Coliseum whether it's you know they'll play Arizona in Phoenix which yes essentially is a road game but I, I I've never really understood that it's like they played Gonzaga in Seattle and then Gonzaga came to Birmingham and I get it like you want to give those other arenas a shot but like it's not the same as having these games on campus. So I, I do really like it if they actually go to Creighton's gym. Creighton comes to Coleman Coliseum. I think that'll be great. Uh, you know, nice chance to reignite the, the rivalry from 2012. Get get uh, get revenge for Jermichael Green and, and Doug McDermott. You have to remember, again, they played in the 2016 NIT tournament also. So Alabama and Creighton are familiar opponents with one another. I just think that when you have an the the roster turnover it, it really is not going to matter because you want to whoever's in front of you you want to be undefeated versus who's in front of you yeah. and I think that that's the mentality that Nato's has taken but you've seen so many schools dinged when they don't have a strong RPI or well, that strength of schedule that's what's been great 
that Nate Oates has done. It's like one thing I say what you want about the results in March, but the Alabama has played a very strong non-conference schedule every year that uh, that Nate Oates has been here, and that's going to continue. I believe they had the number one strength of schedule this past year in the country. Uh, so that that's always going to be a thing that Nate Oates does, which I do appreciate. You would hope it would get you more ready for March, but maybe uh, they'll continue to do that. As for transfer portal news, Alabama did make the final final uh, top four for Hofstra grad transfer Aaron Estrada. Supposed to be a really good player, one of the better players in the transfer portal. He's like a 20-a-game kind of guy. So we'll see if uh, Nate Oates and now Austin Clonch, you know, the only staff at Alabama, hopefully that's added too soon as well, can land Estrada from Hofstra. Well, again, it, it's all about finding a way because we've seen so many people talk about in Alabama in the past, when Coach Gottfried was the coach, missed the NCAA tournament because they mentioned strength of schedule. And I think that Avery Johnson might have been guilty of that as well. So you just want to find a way to make sure you strengthen that schedule moving forward, that non-conference schedule, because the SEC is always going to be one through six, one through seven deep. And if you can get quality competition outside of the Southeastern Conference, by all means do that. And a true home and home is beneficial for everyone. Four o'clock hour coming up here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls today, 251-694-1055. And we always love to hear from you in our app as well. And, of course, this month, the NFL Draft is upon us. And a lot of people want to know, is Bryce Young worthy of being the number one overall draft pick? And if he's not... Where will he and who will he fall to? Could one of those places that Bryce Young wind up dropping to be the Indianapolis Colts? Well, Kent Sterling from Sterling in the Morning, Bloomington's Voice on 98.7 WGCL joins us on the final drive. Kent, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, we wanted to talk to you about the Colts and Bryce Young possibly becoming an Indianapolis Colt. I know that the franchise is looking for that go-to leader, and we've seen time after time the Heisman Trophy winner do great things for Alabama. The film doesn't lie, and I think that the Colts would probably tend to lean to him if he's not the number one overall pick, or will they decide that they want Will Anderson Jr., a great defensive player, to change the Colts' roster? 
You know, that's a great question. And all will be answered in 17 nights, but until then, it's all supposition, and we enjoy that a lot. So, yeah, let's dig into it. Bryce Young, a guy who's got some magic to him. He's slight. He's going to play at about 190 despite being at 204 for the combine. That's what people think. And he is a leader. He is all the things you'd like in a quarterback, except he's not six foot four. And and Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, is a guy who really likes people who fill the jersey. He's got prototypes, and he drafts to prototypes. They just signed a tight end today. And all their tight ends but one are pretty much this. They're 6'6", 260 pounds. They're block-first guys who can catch later. That's what he goes after with tight ends. What he goes after with quarterbacks tends to be uh, bigger guys, kind of like Jacoby Brissett, like Andrew Locke. So you're talking about 6'4", maybe 225 to 230, 240. And when you talk about those guys, there are really two that stand out. One's Anthony Richardson from Florida, and the others Will Levis from Kentucky. My guess is that they would prefer to take Richardson because he's got a higher ceiling, and that's what quarterback plays all about. But if they wound up with Bryce Young, I think that people in Indianapolis would be kind of thrilled about it as long as he's able to stay healthy. As far as Will Anderson, Will Anderson's a straight beast. I'd love it if the Colts took Will Anderson. You, to win in the NFL, you got to do two things. And one is keep your own quarterback upright, and the other is knock the other guy down. And Will Anderson is really good at knocking the other guy down. Ken, it feels like, I mean, keeping on Will Anderson, I mean, it feels like the Colts in this draft have to take a quarterback, no? Yeah, otherwise they wind up with Gardner Minshew as a starter, and I don't think that that gets you anywhere good. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, is it a situation, too, to where the Colts could possibly move up the draft board? And if they did move up to a higher pick, what would they be giving up, in essence, to go ahead and move up just one pick? Well, it's kind of a Mitch Trubisky situation. The Bears went up one pick uh, with the 49ers to get the rights to draft Mitch Trubisky, and it cost them two threes and a four. One three and, and the four that year and then the following year's three. And so people think that that's kind of the way that's going to work. But what they could also do, they could take a guy like Will Anderson at four, and or they could, they could drop back. Let's say they go to seven. They pick up seven and 38 from the Raiders, and, and you take somebody like Jalen Carter, who has you know, had a, a tough month or two, and, and because of that is likely to drop in the draft. And then you could package 35, which they already own, and 38 and move into the first round and take somebody like Hendon Hooker. So it's not if they you know, draft defense early in the draft, it's not like they can't get a quarterback. They could get Hooker maybe in the 20s. Maybe he'll last into the 30s. But they're, that's, a, that's a high risk piece of, you know, Texas Hold'em poker. Like, you know, you don't know where he's going to go. And so if you're going to trade up from 35, you got to make sure you're going to get him. And if he goes before you pull the trigger on that deal and you wind up without any quarterback whatsoever, the fans here are going to go bonkers. Talking to, talking to Ken Sterling, Sterling in the morning in Bloomington. So ultimately they do hire Shane Steichen after 
probably the oddest head coaching search I, I can ever remember. Was it? I mean, there's been a revolving door of quarterbacks in Indianapolis since Andrew Luck retired. Is it just the type of thing hiring Steichen that no matter who the next guy is, we have to figure it out? I mean, even Frank Reich, I mean, they should have been able to figure it out with Wentz, no? Well, they should have, and, and they kind of did, but Wentz really burned his bridges with Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay is a guy, this is what he does. It's not like he's got another job. He's the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, and he takes it really seriously. And if you walk around the locker room, and you don't, you don't need to genuflect necessarily with Jim Irsay, but you've got to be friendly, and you've got to say hello, and you don't want to be treated like an interloper in your own locker room, and that is kind of the word as to what went on with, uh, with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was kind of prickly when it came to the uh, getting vaccinated. And so he put, because of the NFL protocols, not necessarily because of the vaccine, but because of the protocols and the penalties for those who didn't get vaccinated, he was in a position where he really kind of cost the, the Colts their momentum. They were 9-6 and six heading into week 17 and 18. They lost both games, and, and some of the blame for that fell fairly or unfairly on Carson Wentz's shoulders. So Ursay came to Ballard and came to Reich and said, okay, boys, it's next man up. You guys figure out who it is. It's not going to be Carson Wentz. And so they went out and, and made the deal to get another aging quarterback. They did it successfully with your guy, Philip Rivers, and then they tried it again with Matty Ice, and that did not work at all. And so now they're back to square one, trying again to fill that role that they have filled unsuccessfully. I think this is year eight for a different opening day starting quarterback. And uh, with the exception of Rivers and Luck, none have been successful. Well, I tell you, no matter who is the quarterback, former Alabama center Ryan Kelly, Will he be a Colt, or will they use him as trade bait? Because it's so important to start on that offensive line to protect your other million-dollar investments that are behind him. Will Ryan Kelly be there for the Colts? Yeah, I think Ryan Kelly's going to be here. They, it, Chris Ballard spoke very highly of him during the offseason, uh, said they really didn't consider cutting him. He, he's a guy with no dead cap money, so you could cut him without any kind of penalty. And they've kept him. He wasn't very good last year. He had, a, he had a tough go last year because of health and because of a situation that he and his wife endured the previous season where they lost a, a, a child who was born prematurely and in just a terrible situation for Ryan. People in Indianapolis really like him, and, and I think he's getting another chance to kind of prove himself. And, and be that rock in the middle of that offensive line as he was since he was drafted. I think, what was it, like first round 2016, 2015, 2016. And just an overall great dude. Like, people like him here a lot. And, and so hopefully he can kind of get things back together and be the, be the center that he's been throughout his career here. From a draft standpoint, Kent, if you were going to – predict how this is going to play out for Indianapolis, not to put you on the spot, but kind of to put you on the spot. What, what's going to happen here? I think they trade back and take uh, Jalen Carter. As crazy as that sounds, like Chris Ballard is a maniac for building his roster from the inside out. He tells you every time he opens his mouth, every time he does media, and he's going to do it next week, he's going to talk about the need to build the roster from the inside out. And, and I take him at his word. 
he he doesn't he doesn't play games with the other teams through the media. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking to the national guys. So there's no kind of conduit of information to the nationals, and then that spreads to teams. There's no disinformation going on. He is a really honest guy. And, and one of the things that he says all the time is built from the inside out. He loves defensive tackles. I, and, and he loves offensive guards. He loves setters. And I think that he's going to wind up trading back to seven. And I think he takes Jalen Carter with that first-round draft pick. As crazy as that seems because his job hangs in the balance. He's got to get that quarterback situation fixed or Jim Irsay is going to replace him. And it's that simple. But I think that he is who he is. His dogma is more physics than philosophy. And because of that, I think that he trades back, which he enjoys. He loves them picks. He says it all the time. I love them picks. He loves them picks, and he loves them defensive tackle tackles. And I think that's what he's going to do. As in, like, that's insane. That's crazy. I wouldn't even consider doing that, but I think that that's where he's going to land. Well, I, I think that if the Colts do draft Carter, then somebody's going to be looking for a new job, period. Uh, because, again, I, I've seen the film on Carter, and the film doesn't lie, but I think that sometimes it's bigger than football, than the game that you play. You have to be checked in mentally, too. And I think that because of that, you know, if you're not going to go quarterback, and if you do go quarterback to me, there's a plethora of SEC quarterbacks that you can choose from. And I think that if they don't make the right decision there and then don't make the right decision from a defensive tackle standpoint, there's going to be trouble. Yeah, and, and you're right. And character matters in Indianapolis. They, they spend a lot of time vetting the character of guys. And I don't think that the racing charge is – I don't think it's a disqualifier, but he's going to have to come in. They're going to have to have a meeting with him where Jalen Carter is really, really impressive. And then, you, you know, you take the weight gain from the combine to the pro day, and that's a big deal, too. Let me ask you guys, if you guys don't mind, uh, you guys know SEC football, and you guys know Will Levis. You probably see more of him than me. There are a lot of people in Indy who are high on Will Levis, and there are a lot of people in Indy who watched him. And I watched three games of his last year, and he looked like a bad decision waiting to happen. What, what's your take on Levis? I'll tell you what, Ken. I, 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 I've gone with the take that I think Hendon Hooker is better than Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. I understand why Anthony Richardson is going to go as high as he do, as he will. I don't understand why Will Levis. I think he's going to end up dropping, but I I am pretty unimpressed overall with Will Levis. I am, I would significantly prefer Hendon Hooker. Okay, perfect. That, that that makes sense to me. That's kind of what I took away from the college football season. Some people just seem to love him, and I can't figure out why, so I thought I'd ask because maybe you guys have figured it out but we're sort of on the same page. Well, I, I think he's one of the most overrated quarterbacks in regards to this draft hype, and I think he's being set up, left out to dry, to be honest with you. He's be, he'll be one of those players that are sitting there, okay, if he's not left in the green room, you're wondering what in the hell was this team and this franchise doing drafting him this high within a top four or five draft pick for sure. That makes a lot of sense want to thank you so much for joining us on the final drive. And we only have a couple of weeks left 
before we'll see if the Colts are able to trade up and possibly have a Bryce Young at quarterback, C.J. Stroud, or we'll see if they have a little SEC flavor and get Anthony Richardson or whether they'll decide to go to the SEC football side of things and go defense with Will Anderson Jr. or Jalen Carter. Thank you so much for joining. How can people continue to follow all your Colts and all your Indianapolis knowledge? I do two YouTube videos a day. Early in the morning, and I just did one this afternoon. You go to YouTube and search Kent Sterling, and there I am. You guys are great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Kent Sterling joining us here on the final drive, and we'll see who it's going to be, Michael Bronner, here in a couple of weeks. We'll see if all the draft experts and the scouting combine personnel who came down here to the Reese's Senior Bowl have hit a home run as far as evaluating and finding the right draft picks for the Indianapolis Colts. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner joining you on this magnificent Monday. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. You can hit us up in the app or we can get your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And, of course, this weekend, Auburn in what was an absolute downpour and monsoon of storms that hit the Auburn Tigers A-Day game. I think they had a total maybe of 12 passes thrown in between the quarterbacks who took snaps for the Auburn Tigers. Just really, I know Hugh Freeze, even if it would have been a bright and sunshiny day, Michael, he wasn't going to show his hand. He was going to keep it close to the vest. But Auburn's running game in the rain is what had to happen. But... What was interesting to me, the announced attendance at the A-Day game. <laughs> announced attendance, keyword announced. Was 16,000, and there might have been 16,000 raindrops to fall within the first couple of minutes of that scrimmage. But at the end of the day, the Auburn Tigers still had a chance to present themselves in front of the Tiger fans and the recruits who were able to make the trip. And more importantly, I think it was – to get in front of all the recruits if you're an Auburn Tiger coaching staff. Realistically, and I'll, and I'll send the, the tweet of the video in the chat, realistically, the video where it says reported attendance is 16,000, it's like the crowd panning shot. How many, how many people do you think are in that stadium? I don't even think it's 1,000. Uh, if, if you're at 1,500, you're lucky because, again, it, it, was, it was horrible weather for their A-Day game. I know that... You you just hand the ball off. A running clock definitely was in effect for the four quarters, but to even attempt a pass, to me, it couldn't have been longer than a two- or three-yard pass at that point in time because the the, the elements that you're going to see in the fall or can be as bad, but yeah. as far as not wanting to get anyone injured or hurt on your roster, mm-hmm. you you got more done in your indoor practice facilities and during the sunshiny days than you did in Saturday's A-Day game. Yeah, A-Day, I mean, we've, we've said this. A-Day is not for the team. 
percent. I mean, sure, it's a scrimmage, I guess, but especially when it's in the rain, it's for the fans more than anything. Uh, for the 500 fans who showed up for Auburn, <laughs> and not to, not just rag on them because you know, Alabama's a day, especially in the rain last year, didn't have a lot of attendance either. But I don't think Alabama reported a 16,000 attendance when there were maybe 500 people in the stands. Uh, but I mean, it was I don't know. Was it disappointing for you to see uh, in in a, a new Hugh Freeze era? so few people i uh, disregarding the fact that auburn completely made up the figure of sixteen thousand. i don't know where they pulled that from uh but it was not accurate the the video shows that sixteen thousand ridiculous number to throw out i i understand the weather plays a factor here but still a little disappointing the lack of attendance baby i I don't think considering the weather no absolutely not i mean even if you would have had it, it wouldn't have mattered who who you had as the head coach. Uh, Nick Saban could have left Alabama and gone to Auburn, and that would have been the only way. Oh, you would I think have there had. would have been more people at the spring game if it, Nick Saban it, it, left that, Alabama that, for Auburn. That's what I'm saying. That's the type of attendance in that type of storm that you would have had to wish for if you were Auburn. Not to mention, if I'm not mistaken, they also charged ten dollars a ticket no to get way, into no the way. Game. Did they really? I, I think there was a, an admission charge and. If that is the case huh. as well, Michael, I think that that would be another reason that that's why you had. But it, it could have been a situation to where that would have to be a lot of people in the concourse area in the upper sections. Oh, come on. 16,000 of them, Sean Jones. Come wet. on. Give me a break. Absolutely no. Maybe more than, than the video. Again, in the video, it, it it's pretty... You know, there's maybe 500 people in the stands in the video. So, I I mean, come on. But, you know, there are not 16,000 people in the concourse in that. So, anyway, that that all being said, how do uh, The, the transfer portal is open for the Auburn Tigers for sure because every guest we've had on this show and everyone we've spoken to, they say Auburn's starting quarterback is not on campus. And if that's not the case with Auburn's starting quarterback not being on campus, of course, it's in the portal. But to be able to just find a way to punt and kick, I think that that in and of itself was was interesting. Ander Carlson was able to try to find a way to kick the football. And, you know, excuse me, filling his shoes it is not a easy situation for any of Auburn's kickers, but McPherson, he's a solid young kicker for the Auburn Tigers. That if you did had to fill Ander Carlson's shoes, Alex McPherson has some pr- pretty good pedigree in him because his brother is kicking for the Bengals, and that's a kicking family. So Evan McPherson's brother is now the kicker for all. What, what's with Auburn and and the the kicking royalty? Like when when are we gonna get a non non brother of a of a really good kicker of all? And Anders Carlson wasn't spectacular. He wasn't he wasn't uh, I, he wasn't the other Carlson. Uh, he wasn't spectacular. I think he got hurt. He he had some injuries and and he he certainly was not very good this past season. He missed some kicks, but he was good. Uh, so it, now now we got a McPherson in there. Man, yeah, I mean, but but. Auburn's Trey always going to kick a 33-yard tying field goal because Auburn's A-Day game did end in a tie, 24-24, to and the scoring situation was not traditional, of course, and coaches at this point in time kind of create their own point value system as how they want to have the players compete and at what level they can compete. But 
I, I mean, if you're looking at the big uglies up front, at least you were able to definitely do nothing else, improve on the O-line and get your schemes from a running game standpoint. And that's something to where Auburn definitely wanted to improve at the O-line position. Yeah, so I guess uh, Freeze kind of said after the game he was happy with how they ran the ball, but not particularly happy with how they stopped the run, which I guess is the inherent issue with A-Day in general, that it's two teams going up against each other. Well, I, I think that I, I know for a fact that regardless of what the weather was, Hugh Freeze was not going to show a lot. I don't of think course. he was going to come out and throw the football 50 times to show people what Auburn's passing game was going to be. Now, it was interesting to hear him critique the quarterback position, making certain reads. And on one of the plays, one of the quarterbacks did not make the correct read while he was standing behind live on ESPN. And I think that when, you, when you're critiqued like that, of course, the film room is great. But when he's able to critique you in front of the nation and talk about you, that part is interesting also. Well, Robbie Ashford had an interesting thing to say kind of after the game. He said, like, don't don't want to say it in a bad way, but I feel like during the last administration, obviously Brian Harson, he wasn't getting as co coached as, as well as he could have been. And it seems like, you know, based on he, what he freezes, I know he was talking up Holden Garner, but uh, it seems like Robbie Ashford is making strides as well. So I know Blackerby and Daprich and all of them, they say that the quarterback for Auburn week one is not on the roster. But, I mean, it seems like all spring it's been nothing but positive reports on both Garner and Ashford. So, I mean, heck, if Ashford, if Ashford can end up developing a good bit as a passer, he's going to be really good. So, I, I don't know. If I'm an Auburn fan, I'm rooting for Robbie Ashford to take that next step and become that guy rather than getting, I don't know, a Grayson McCall from, from Coastal out of the transfer portal. Well, even going into the portal, it's just a matter of how quickly can you develop to the system because everyone is new in Hugh Freeze's system. Yeah. And because of that, I don't think a guy coming in two months later is going to make that big of a day. Not even two months later, a month and a half later, mm -hmm. because once school ends in May and the transfer portal is open, you know where you're going to be enrolled when those classes start at the end of May, early June. So you'll have June and July with your roster and with your team to know what you have in front of you. Now, once you put on those full pads and you go live again, how you fit into that system is a whole different story. Yeah, I guess when it's a new coach and completely you're hitting the reset button anyway, you know, how much does Robbie Ashford's experience at Auburn really put him ahead of a potential transfer? Probably not all that much, uh, other than, you know, the fact that he can say, oh, I played, I started X amount of games as the Auburn quarterback. But yes, like you said, it's going to be an entirely new offensive system regardless. So what does it really matter that Robbie Ashford started 10 games in the brilliant Brian Harson system? The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with... Michael Bronner and Corey Labounty. You can hit us up in the app or again give us a telephone call 251-694-1055. Auburn has a new staff, new head coach. Alabama has new coordinators. After Alabama's A-Day A-Day game on the 22nd, which staff do you think is happier in regards to how far they've come? under new coordinators, Alabama or Auburn. 
We'll talk about that in the depth chart of both schools coming up next year on the final drive. This is Jordan Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Roll Tide. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Michael Bronner along with Corey LeBounty joining you here on this magnificent Monday. And we were talking going into the break about the depth chart situation for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And when you start looking at the depth chart for Alabama and Auburn from a quarterback situation, TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford is what you have right now with experience for the Auburn Tigers. Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson is what you have from an Alabama Crimson Tide standpoint. Now, I don't think there's a transfer portal quarterback coming in to the University of Alabama to shake up no, that quarterback battle. Yeah, two talented freshmen as well, so it just just doesn't make sense. I mean, a lot of people, we talked about this months ago, I mean, when there were talks, uh, and this never ended up materializing, but people would said like, oh, Drake May, you know, the UNC quarterback, is going to enter the transfer portal. And remember, he was originally committed to Alabama, so people were all over the Drake May to Alabama thing. And I, I just, I was never, and again, this is a pointless hypothetical at this point, but... I was just very never into the idea of Alabama bringing in a transfer portal quarterback. I think Alabama br has brought in good quarterbacks through uh, through recruiting, and you know you got two talented freshmen coming in, and Jalen Miller and Ty Simpson battling it out. I th I was very much for letting the four guys on the roster battle it out rather than bringing in a whole different guy. Well, I, I think that when you're looking at Auburn's situation in Hugh Freeze's system, the only way you can look at Hugh Freeze's system is to say, hey, he, he loves to throw the football around. And his quick tempo offensively and what he's been talking about and trying to establish that tempo in practice, I don't think it's the same tempo that Alabama has. And that's the stark contrast right now between Alabama and Auburn because I really think that with Alabama's new offensive coordinator, not necessarily three yards in a cloud of dust, but you're going to see a lot more play action in the based off of the run game. And for Auburn, I think that they're going to throw the football around at a, at a, a at a pace that you better be ready defensively to stop the tempo. Well, the irony with the new offensive coordinator, I think it was uh, Joe Gaither, tied 100.9 on on Thursday, who said it. It's like Tommy Reese. Yes, he. I guess he's bringing in more of an old-school style of football, but yet he's a little bit newer age in terms of his personality, doing a good job relating to the players, whereas Bill O'Brien, yes, he had Bryce Young to work with the last two years, but what, what did Joe say? Is the personality of, quote-unquote, a rock? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so that, it's just uh, funny to see Reese bringing that old-school style of Alabama football back a little bit, even as, you know, he's, what, 32 years old, something like that? Well, Michael, looking ahead to, for a couple of weeks for Alabama's A-Day game, as a fan, I mean, we saw what Auburn did, in, and their A-Day format was to start 24-0 for the offense to have to score. And I think that, you know, when you put 24-0 on the board and you tell the other team's offense, this is what you have to do. This is where you have to score. And it's a 10-minute running clock to where, again, you're not trying to get anyone hurt. You're trying to get everyone out of there healthy as possible, and you wind up in a 24-24 to 24 tie. 
What what does that tell you? Well, so fill, if fill anything, me, fill me in on this a little bit. So the twenty four to nothing. Obviously, the first team offense is down twenty four to nothing. Does the second team offense get the ball up twenty four nothing? Like, is that is that how it works? That's or? that's how you start the game. Okay. And, and and when you start the game like that, what you have to do now is to say, okay, I will take this offense first team wise and try to score on on this defense on this first team defense. And I, I like. The, the putting of the points on the board because it gives you a number, a sense of urgency to try to match. Yeah. But do you want to match that number? I, I think the guys at Auburn's A-Day game were happier to get into the locker room than they were onto the field just because of the playing conditions and how miserable it was from a rain standpoint. Yeah, that's what it was last year in Tuscaloosa. So I'm hoping uh, come April 22nd, I believe it is, it's going to be a little bit uh, nicer in Tuscaloosa certainly than it was last year and, and it was at Auburn because yeah, standing in the rain at A-Days is, is tough. I mean, y'all, I'll do it and, and I'll, I'll do it gladly, but it would be really nice if it could just, you know, be it. Be it. it was also it's also Easter weekend last year. It was it was just very poorly scheduled on uh, on the football program's part. So it was nice to see Easter Sunday fall on Master Sunday this year and not uh, be the same weekend as a day. But couldn't have been more poorly scheduled last year. Obviously, you can't account for weather months in advance, but we'll see if, uh, if the weather cooperates this time around in Tuscaloosa. Well, again, mentioning for the Auburn Tigers, you mentioned Alabama. Alabama and the weather that was there with you having all the horrible weather you know you're going to run the ball and that was what Auburn had to be able to do or where they mm -hmm. needed to find a way to replace three players who started at tackle last season and I think that Auburn has shown with the influx of the transfer portal that they were going to be fine and what you really have to find if you are Auburn is a defensive pass rusher and somebody that can get into the backfield for Auburn and make a difference. But when you open up against UMass, that's a, a wonderful opportunity to – to build yourselves and confidence offensively and defensively. Well, with how much they've struggled on the offensive line throughout the past two seasons, I mean, that, that's got to be somewhat encouraging, at least that they, quote-unquote, struggled to stop the run and ran the ball pretty well. I guess that's you would rather hear that than they were unable to run the ball on their own defense at all. I, I guess that's more of an encouraging report that they ran the ball well. I think rain, and you can you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think the 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 bad weather and and probably the slippery field probably favors the offense a little bit more than the defense in a in a run the ball run the ball run the ball type situation. Yeah, I think it definitely favors your offense, uh, but your defense. Again, we'll be in a situation to where in the fall, yeah, you're going to be on some Saturdays to where yeah. the weather's horrible. Yeah. And you just have to face adversity and you can't just be happy to get out of there. You have to find a way to battle through all the elements, which is something that, again, starting off in the fall, you'll see it being 115 mm -hmm. degrees with humidity, with the heat index. And I think that you have to fight through that type of fatigue versus where when it starts to, to rain and you go on those Saturdays to where you have a downpour, you're already ready. And the biggest thing from Auburn, though, was that they didn't fight with one another, unlike what we saw in the NBA last <laughs> night 
with Minnesota Timberwolves Rudy Gobert throwing a, a punch at his own teammate Kyle Anderson. I, I don't think I, I've seen people push back and forth, but I've never seen a teammate swing on another teammate coming out of a huddle. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen it behind closed doors if you remember like the geno smith story from from uh like five years ago in, in uh with the jets so like it's not unheard of but to see it on tv like that mid-game coming out of a huddle like it's a punch thrown by gobert and he did get suspended a game he's not playing i don't know if it's ten- i assume it's not tonight uh in the, in their next game and so just not a good situation all around for for uh minnesota things kind of, and that was that was a huge trade for gobert so things kind of falling apart there not good Throwing punches at teammates, though, Bronner. I mean, it's something that it, it, it's it's kept quiet when it does happen yeah. collegiately. But when it's done in a public setting, in the locker room, you just have scuttlebutt about it, right? But when you do it in front of cameras and in front of the world, that's a whole different story. And Rudy Gobert being one of those players that – was acquired in a blockbuster trade and being paid a lot of money. You never want to see teammates throw haymakers at one another, regardless of what level of play you're seeing. And that's what happened last night in the NBA. Rudy Gobert throwing punches at his own teammates, something you don't see too frequently. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Give us a call here, 251-694-1055, or hit us up in the app. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, now bringing you the golf report, brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, engineered product and services, and the one and only John Rachetti. Rachetti, we are not playing golf on Monday, which would have been the first time since 1983 that the Masters would have had to have been played on a Monday. But what an outstanding win for John Rahm winning the 2023 Masters. Well, I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, everything those guys do uh, at Augusta usually is, <laughs> they hit a home run. So I've used that uh, terminology before, but they do. And, uh, you know, it just happened to be all of a sudden, you know, it got warmed up in the afternoon and so forth. They got it in on uh, Sunday. I mean, nobody wants a Monday finish, especially at, a ma- at, the, at, at the Masters. So, yeah, John Rom, uh, I had picked him uh, earlier in the week, but I can honestly tell you, for some reason, even though I picked him, for some reason, over the weekend, books kept going war on me. And I actually, come Sunday, I was, for whatever reason, I can't really figure out why my gut was pulling for Brooks Kepka, but I was pulling for Brooks Kepka. And, uh, but John Rahm is a true champion. Uh, he is the best player in the world. Oh, yeah. No question about it. His record speaks for itself. Uh, you know, we can talk Rory this and Rory that, but uh, Rory's one of those, you know, great players, superstars in the game, you know. But, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, he really doesn't get the job done day in and day out. 
I'm gonna have some takes about Rory uh, on the show later tonight, John. You're gonna you're gonna be shocked. I know my character is that of a Rory guy, but you're gonna you're gonna be shocked with some of the words that are gonna come out of my mouth later. Aren't you glad I made you make a pick on this show? Now we can take our victory lap tonight. Yeah, I'm ready. I agree. I, like I said, I honestly I picked y'all wrong, but yesterday it's come Saturday or Friday late. I was kind of had a place in my heart for books. I don't know why. Uh, just I said, you know what? I, ended, I actually was pulling for him. I don't know. You know, it's because he's kind of like these live guys or outsiders kind of yeah. in. But uh, you know, even though they did have three of the top five guys who were live players that finished at the Masters, but uh, and then the story too. Phil Mickelson. I mean, you know, there's a guy that two years ago was an absolute superstar, rock star in the game of golf that completely went all the way down a toilet drain uh, as far as the game of golf goes in the last year and a half with, you know, all this off-course antic problems that he's had. And to come up that leaderboard like he did yesterday on a place that he knows quite well, and he even called it come Saturday that he said he's about due to go on a serious run because he felt that his game was there even though the results weren't there, and boom, Sunday afternoon, 31 on the back nine. Phil Mickelson ends up tied for second. John. So there is a lot of story lines. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, sorry, for, sorry for interrupting you there. But I, so how do you compare? We've seen some epic major collapses throughout history. It didn't feel like. Brooks had this epic collapse yesterday, but at the same time, he led technically going into Sunday. I know it was still the third round, or it was still the third round uh, for like 13 holes, but he led by four shots going into the day on Sunday and then goes out and shoots a 75 in round four, but it still didn't feel like this like epic collapse from Brooks. I don't know. What do you think? No. Nah, he hit some good shots. Now, like I said, the shot at four, he was like. He was just close to being an outstanding shot. Six, and then I think, and then I think, I think realistically, uh, two situations are going to start. What did Brooks in? I mean, but I'm going to give. But at the end of the day, you got to give credit to John Rom because he played really well and he's he's the champ. But what did Brooks in is on number eight in the final round. He needed to birdie that hole. He needed to hit the fairway. He hit a pull hook. Again, the same shot with it like he did off a of number one to open up the fourth round. Had to chip out, hit an incredible shot from 240 into the middle of the green, made par. And then on the ninth hole, 95% of the time that ball comes down that hill and he's in the grip. How that ball stayed there is almost as bad, almost back when Freddie Couples won the Masters on the 12th hole. People forget. That ball should have been in the water, but it hit some a leaf or something that kept that thing from going down into the water uh, at number 12. And the same thing with, with Brooks Kepka. That ball should have been coming all the way down to the hole. And he, he ended up making five. He should have made three if that ball just just rotates another, you know, half a rotation. That ball's going all the way down to the hole. Somewhere now the hole, he's making three. But I think that was the turning point, in my opinion, where the eighth and ninth hole, and then then just John Rahm is as solid as he is. He is he is so good that, uh, and I think he's going to win another major because he is built 
to win major championships. He really he is. Built. Rochette, we have about a minute left with you. Sam Bennett, he two under for the entire tournament amateur status. He didn't look like an amateur to me. No, I knew this. Uh, I told the guys this morning on the show that uh, my son was paired with him in Dallas at Fort Worth, about, I guess it was nine, eight years ago, in an AJGA event. He was a couple years younger than my son. They were paired together in Dallas, and I knew right then, it was, I think, maybe 13 or 14 at the time, that that guy was really, really good. And then you fast forward, I guess, eight or nine, ten years, uh, eight to ten years forward, and look at it, he does not. He's the real deal. Uh, I mean, is he the next superstar on the PG in the world of golf? I would probably say no. Uh, I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's the next. But I mean, is he going to be playing on the PGA Tour? Yes, possibly. Like uh, he will be playing on the PGA Tour. Will he be a world world beater out there? Too early to see. But he's really good. Coming up tonight, you do have your Millen Light John Rochetti Golf Show, and that is at 6 o'clock p.m. immediately following the final drive here. I know you'll talk about Tiger Woods not being able to finish, having to withdraw, and again, Phil Mickelson finding a way to shoot up the leaderboard and more live golf versus PGA golf. All can be found on the Miller Light John Rochetti Golf Show here immediately following the final drive. Looking forward to it, John. All right, guys. Well, you guys keep up the good work. Yeah, it was a sad situation with Tiger Woods. He did not look well. I did not look good, and hopefully he can get this thing fixed up and get back uh, uh, at Oak Hill for the next major, which is the PGA. But the weather is all weather with that guy. It does, uh, you know, a major in May might not be too hot there either. So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll talk about it tonight. You guys keep up the good work. Always a pleasure talking to you guys. John Rochetti joining us here on the final drive again. You can catch the Miller Lite John Rochetti Golf Show immediately following the final drive for your Masters recap coming up next. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner coming into the third hour here on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner joining you on this Monday evening. And, of course, this weekend under monsoon-like conditions at times and a little bit frigid as well. It definitely didn't feel like spring was in the air if you were 
attending Auburn's 8A game in Auburn, Alabama at Jordan-Hare Stadium. To talk about that, we welcome back Zach Blackerby, host of Locked On Auburn. Zach, hope all is well, and it's good to hear from you, my brother. Yes, yes, it's been too long. Glad we're back. Hope we can get into uh, the normal schedule again. But, yeah, gross weather this weekend, and um, you know, Auburn spring is now behind them. Well, the biggest thing people want to know about, of course, you're not going to be able to see much in the rain, only 12 passing attempts total for the Auburn Tigers. And to me, that was probably more than what I figured was going to happen after this rain. But what are the biggest takeaways coming away from Auburn's total spring practice, not just their A-Day game on Saturday? I think it's that this roster has a long way to go. And as the portal opens on Saturday, I think you're going to see Auburn be very active on both sides of it, both with guys entering the portal and with guys leaving the portal to, uh, to choose Auburn as their next college destination. So um, there's just a lot of position groups where it's like, okay, you're a starter away or you're a depth piece away. And uh, I think Hugh Freeze is going to have to hold some position groups to, uh, to a higher standard there. So we saw him – really revamp and transform the offensive line. And I think the offensive line at 8 looked really, really good. And I think we got a little taste of that because if they did ones versus ones and twos versus twos, which is great. I don't know if the last time we've ever seen – I don't know if we've ever seen Auburn do that before. So that was, that was good. But, you know, the receiving core, I think, has got a, a long way to go. Um, I, I think you're going to see them bring in another safety. Um you know, you probably need more guys that are going to be able to rush the passer. Can you find guys like that in this transfer window? We'll see. We'll get more information on that this weekend. Hugh Freeze kind of said that he was pleased with the way they were able to run the ball, which is obviously encouraging for a team that has struggled on the offensive line for the past two years, but was displeased with the way they stopped the run. Uh, is that more encouraging or, or discouraging to you, especially, you know, given the offensive line struggles? Yeah, just talking to, you know, folks within the program, Bonner, I, I, think, uh, I think a big part of that had to do with, as far as the starters, I, I think the third team going up against, you know, Sean Jackson, I don't know if that stuff really actually matters because those guys aren't going to be playing in games this fall. But, you know, the, the starters giving up yards, a lot of it was to the outside. I think the containment was, uh, I think containment was the issue, not necessarily like roughing it up on the defense side of the trenches. That's certainly what they're discussing in meetings and going over in film uh, is, you know, who lost contain in certain situations. I mean, you saw that on the big Robbie Ashford run. Cam Riley, who had contain, and he just gets gobbled up inside, which is kind of what we've grown to expect when he's in. We'll see if he enters the portal, if he, if he has a future at Auburn or not. But, I mean, there's a lot of those guys. And sometimes it's the jack linebacker that's got contained. Sometimes it's a linebacker. Sometimes it's, it's a safety, depending on how they line up. But containment, I think, was the, you know, if you want to get a little bit deeper, sure, that is stopping the run. It's certainly an element of it. But I think this defensive line's getting a lot of, um, lot of hate and a lot of unfair criticism because of their performance or the statistical output of, of the offense on Saturday. But I, I think it's more of a containment issue than, than the big guys up front. Well, the great thing for the Auburn Tigers, even though 16,000 was the announced attendance there, 
it really didn't matter about those 16,000 because they still had four and five star recruits on campus. And I think that's the biggest giveaway for Hugh Freeze or takeaway that his new coaching staff mm -hmm. and him can really take away from making it, hey, look, it's not about how soggy or wet the weather was and how cold it was. It's about getting four and five star kids on campus in those conditions. Yeah, there's no question about it. And then, you know, a lot of those kids already scheduling their follow-up visit after that. And these are guys that are committed to, to you know, Alabama and Georgia. And, and then obviously other, you know, four-star guys that are throughout the states of Alabama and Georgia. So, I mean, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot to like about the, the type of talented athlete and recruit that they're, uh, they're getting on campus. But at some point, it's got to turn into guys popping, turn into guys saying, you know what, I'm either going to flip or, you know what, I'm pledging to Auburn and Hugh Freeze and kind of buying into the vision that's being sold here. And so we'll certainly see what that looks like over the next few weeks. And I'm sure in June and July, they're going to go absolutely crazy as far as having both official and unofficial visitors in pretty much every weekend that they're allowed. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, I think the effort is certainly there. But – you know, it almost seemed like a little bit of a disappointment that no one publicly committed on Saturday. I think uh, I think almost every outlet, I can certainly say this, with the Auburn Daily staff, we had several several pieces pre-written uh, about certain guys that we thought could possibly commit, and uh, it didn't happen. And so, you know, I think the next question is, okay, well, if it didn't happen then, when is it going to happen? Because it was kind of a lull after Walker White committed, then Jamari and Burnett commits a few weeks ago. And we're at kind of another lull here, um, especially when you see other top teams in the SEC kind of piling up that class. Um, if Hugh Freeze wants to compete with those guys and he thinks that he can get this program to that point in the next two or three seasons, you got to start kind of adding these commitments. And so um, when is that going to happen? That's, uh, that's the big question. Talking to Zach Blackerby, Locked On Auburn. Uh, now, Zach, I, I know that reported attendance is often – an inflated number, but the audacity for Auburn to throw out the number 16,000? I mean, 16,000? Come on. Man, it's, it's all the Alabama alums pointing this stuff <laughs> out. It's wild. No, they, they do, you know, for Auburn's 8A, which is ridiculous, you have to buy a ticket. And yeah. so that's how they count it, how many tickets were sold. Um, I, I think that's pretty... I think it's pretty standard. I don't think Auburn's the only folks doing that, but uh, I, I didn't go, guys. I, I was I was the best man in the wedding this past weekend, but uh, I don't blame you. I mean, it's certain, it's certainly, I, if I was home, I don't know if I would have gone. Just being honest with you, it looked terrible out there. But um, it did seem like a lot of folks were kind of gathered up high underneath, you know, the the overhangs. But yeah, can you fit sixteen thousand people under there? I don't know. Well, even even after the bad weather, I, I know that one of the Mobile Christian players, Sterling Dixon Jr., was one of those recruits from the Mobile, Alabama area who is a four-star commitment, who is verbally committed, rather, to the University of Alabama just to get those guys on campus again. And they may be waiting for a sunshiny day. And I'm with you that I am a little bit surprised that there was no at least one big splash coming away outside of the puddles that people were splashing in on the field yeah. at Jordan-Harris Stadium. And it would have been huge for momentum, but that just goes to show how huge the transfer portal is going to be for Hugh Freeze, really when you look across the board on Auburn's football roster. 
Yeah, yeah, and Sterling Dixon's an interesting recruitment because, I mean, he's going to Auburn more than he is anywhere else right now, despite being committed to Alabama. This is a guy that I think it was, it was probably three Mondays ago when during our media viewing period, you know, we were out there for about 40 minutes or so. It was all stretching and pace drills, nothing, nothing substantial. But Hugh Freeze spent the entire time speaking with a recruit and the recruit's father. And then on my way out, I walked past them and I saw the name. It was Sterling Dixon. So it's like <laughs> Coach Coach Freeze would rather recruit Sterling Dixon than you know coach his team for you know at least a third of that practice, which is which is showing the importance that he's putting on these kids. Like Nick Saban is probably not doing that for him when he's going to Tuscaloosa, right? So I mean, and Sterling Dixon's not the only one he's doing this for. Him. And so when are these dominoes going to start to fall? If they're going to start to fall. Yeah, and then obviously the portal, it opens on the 15th, and uh, you know, it'll be open until the end of this month for that 15-day window. And you know, I think they're going to get eight or nine guys. Uh, I think they've got to address up some depths with the offensive line. I think they're going to get two quarterbacks. I think they're going to get another jack linebacker, potentially two. And I think they're going to get a safety. And then I think other than that, they're going to get talent that can help them. You know, you got to think they'll look at pass catcher, specifically wide receiver, uh, I don't know how much that position group is going to be in this portal uh, in the transfer window, but you know uh, the the number I'm hearing from folks close to the situation are thinking eight or nine guys, and I think that's interesting because right now, if no one else leaves going into spring, Auburn would have been at 92 scholarships if the rest of the 2023 class enrolled. So if no one left, you'd be at 92 scholarships at the start of summer when the rest of the class enrolls. Obviously, you can't go higher than 85. So if they did nothing, you have to have seven guys leave. Now, two linebackers have already entered the portal, so they're down to 90. And so even if they don't add anybody to the portal, five guys have to leave via the portal. And then if you add eight or nine guys, like you're about to see 14 players for Auburn, 15 maybe, enter the portal Um Either this weekend or the following days after that, so it's going to be a it's going to be a really really crazy chaotic time, and I think this is going to be a, an annual thing throughout college football. Seems like Hugh Freeze has gone out of his way this spring to praise Holden Garner. It seems like Robbie Ashford has made some progress as well. Are you still of the belief that the quarterback for Week One is not on the roster? Uh, if I had to if I had to place a bet on it, yeah, I would say that he's not currently on the roster. I think TJ's gone. I think Robbie is okay. I think he limits you in some capacity, but um, I think, uh, I don't know, I think he's okay. I think Hugh Freeze wants to win this season, and I I don't know if Robbie can win you eight or nine games. I just don't know what the upside is there. Um, So, yeah, I think think the plan is for Hugh Freeze to get two guys, one guy that's almost out of eligibility, and then another guy that could potentially be, you know, the Hugh Freeze-type quarterback that perhaps is a little bit younger. That's, uh, that's, That's what I'm expecting to happen over the next few weeks. Well, I tell you what is and has happened on the plains at Auburn. Frank Thomas, huge statue unveiled, the first baseball statue in honor of the Big Hurt and Frank Thomas, as well as from a basketball standpoint down the street. Wes Flanagan is leaving Auburn, who is LeBaron Phylons of Baker High School here in Mobile's number one recruiter. He's gone, so I know those are two big things that happened at Auburn this weekend along with Auburn's football game. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that was cool for, for Frank Thomas. 
You know, I think Auburn, and then you know, specifically the Auburn baseball program, I don't think they've done enough to really honor him and recognize him and get him on campus as much. And I don't know if that's a Ray Thomas thing or an Auburn thing or, or you know what exactly that looks like. But I think that's something where you know I think you should have a Frank Thomas game every single year, and you know you kind of honor him. I mean. I don't know how much longer you're going to be able to say this for, but the fact, you know, that the SEC is just loaded with baseball talent and he's still the only MLB Hall of Famer from the SEC is pretty incredible. That's pretty wild to think about. That's a new, yeah. fun, um, fun. That's a new fun fact on this yeah. show. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It doesn't sound right. Um, but the first time I heard that, I had to go check. I'm like, there is no way that's correct, but it is. Yeah, so – you know, I, I think that's something that, that Auburn should really stick their chest out for. And even if somebody else is eventually added from the conference, and say he's the first one. He's the first one for a very long time. I mean, that's a big deal. And so um, it took too long to get the guy a statue, I think. I mean, um, I know you got your Heisman statues and your Charles Barkley. And I think Tom is always going to fit in um, just fine with, with the Auburn greats there. And so – that's um, that's been pretty cool to see, and then yeah, West Flanagan, Alex Flanagan heading over to Ole Miss. I think that's um, something that was in the works for a few weeks, and I think that is, I think that was a mutual thing where both sides can probably benefit from that. I think there were some personality things that really kind of caused that to happen. Probably happened a year longer than it should have been, but their previous relationship with uh, with the Beers kind of allowed that to happen. So I think that's probably a good thing for Auburn. We'll see if it's a good thing for Auburn. So uh, Corey and I will get more into this tomorrow, uh, but Auburn also lands a basketball transfer in Denver Jones, who, in fact, was an Alabama target, whether Alabama's not able to land them because, well, they didn't have a coaching staff or he just wanted to go to Auburn. I'm not sure, but it does seem like the tide is starting to shift in terms of what the rivalry was this past year and what it's going to be next year. You obviously have Aiden Holloway coming in as well for Auburn. I mean, does it, does it feel the same way? Uh, I think Auburn is going to be a lot better than Alabama next year. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I mean, I think Alabama's going to be facing the same stuff Auburn faced this year. We're like, how do you replace lottery picks? You know, and I mean, Auburn had to replace two first-round picks. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know the draft status for everybody on Alabama's roster, but, but I mean, obviously some, some great players you're going to have to replace. I mean, that's certainly going to be a part of it. And, I mean, no matter how good you recruit, I mean, we've seen this with Kentucky, like even when guys, come in and they're highly rated it doesn't always you know stick and i think alabama had a great mix of young and old um talent wise and that, that's what you need in college basketball to make a run and so alabama certainly had that so uh but yeah i mean i i think we're seeing auburn specifically bruce pearl do something that i personally never thought we would see and that is process players <laughs> and yeah. yeah i mean he's just so loyal um, this is a guy that, you know, does anything for his players, but we're starting to see guys that I think wanted to probably stay at Auburn and they're no longer given a chance so much. So, I mean, even players that didn't have the ability to transfer again, like Wendell Green, you know, he transferred to Auburn two off seasons ago and he hadn't graduated yet. So he can't grad transfer. And so he's declaring for the draft and you know, he in theory could come back, um, but the way he worded his uh, his goodbye, it kind of sounded kind of sounded you know um, like it was done, like his time at Auburn was done. But I'm shocked that Wendell Green's not on this roster anymore. I just didn't think it would happen. I think it's best for Auburn 
but I'm just shocked. And so I think moving on from Wendell and then Jeff running out of eligibility, and I love that Jasper came on my show every week for, for two years, but the fact that now your one and two is going to be Aiden Holloway and Denver Jones, man, <laughs> does that just totally change, like, what you have to do to defend this Auburn team um, next year. I mean, that's, that really is going to stretch some teams defensively with these big guards, which is not what Auburn is used to. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Auburn's going to be a good spot. There's still a few things they've got to figure out. They've got to get bigger, um, you know, at other positions as well. I think that three guard is kind of open. You know, it seems like Jalen Williams is coming back. I think that's good. Jani Broom coming back. I think that's good. There's some rumors about Dylan Cardwell. Could he bolt to, to Ole Miss? It sounds like Georgia's been interested in him. You know, what happens with him? But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Bruce Pearl has done this so far, I, I think it shows he's willing to do what it takes to compete, which is, which is exactly what Auburn wants. Zach Blackerby, tell everyone how they can follow everything Auburn and all your great coverage of what's going on on the Plains. Yeah, yeah. Check out AuburnDaily.com for all of our written work. And then uh, I drop a show every single morning, Locked on Auburn. It's available wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube to search Locked on Auburn. It'll come up. And for uh, Atlanta Braves folks, head over to bravestoday.com. We've got a lot of great Atlanta Braves coverage partnered with Sports Illustrated for that as well. So, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Yeah, be sure to check it all out. Zach Blackerby joining us on the final drive. Appreciate you, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, guys. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. Uh, this is Jim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. You can reach us in the app or you can go ahead and give us a telephone call at 251-694-1055 and we were talking about whether you think Odell Beckham Jr. is worth the big money deal that he has signed this weekend with the Baltimore Ravens one year 15 million dollar guarantee can make up to 18 million dollars and Odell Beckham Jr.'s best year as a wide receiver was in his second year with the New York Giants where he had over 1,400 yards receiving. But how does he make the Baltimore Ravens better right now? Uh, Is that the Ravens offense becoming more diverse? Is it then giving them a 1,000-yard receiver? Does it mean they can run the football better? Love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. And I know we have a caller in the final drive. Caller, good afternoon. Hey, Corey, what's up? Hey, we all know why the Odell Beckham Jr. is. That's, that's a small price to pay to get Lamar Jackson to sign a contract and can play with one of his friends and a somewhat good wide receiver. That's that's a small price to pay. That's all what it's all about. It's not about Odell Beckham Jr. or the money to get Lamar Jackson somebody to throw the ball to somebody he, he wants to come back and play with give us out of contract. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. And thank you for the call, by the way. I, w- I would have to agree with you in regards to creating Baltimore buzz, so to speak. And Lamar definitely wants to have 
guys that he can consider that dude to throw to. And we all know what a healthy OBJ can do. But OBJ has not played an entire down for one season in the NFL. Not an entire down. Does that help him? Because now he's 30 years of age, and you know how beat up and banged up you can become as a wide receiver. So with him sitting out an entire season, coming off of a torn knee and a blown-up knee, would you take a fresh Odell who's coming off a knee injury rather than going other places in free agency? Apparently, the Baltimore Ravens say, of course, Michael Bronner. Yeah, if he is healthy, and, and and again, like you have to ask yourself, when is the last time we saw a healthy Odell Beckham? It was in the Super Bowl, and he was taking that game over against the Bengals. Against the Bengals secondary that, by the way, in that playoff run that they got to the Super Bowl, Joe Burrow wasn't good in that playoff run. It was the Bengals secondary that got them to the Super Bowl. So, you know, say what you want about the Eli Apples of the world, and I know Saints fans don't want to hear it. Eli Apple was really good in that playoff run, Jesse Bates and and uh, and all of them. I mean, the, the, that secondary was the reason that the Bengals got to the Super Bowl. So, And the fact that Odell was kind of just having his way with that secondary before, again, unfortunately tearing his ACL on, a, on just a freak non-contact injury that can happen uh, to anyone, any receiver on a football field. You, it has to be encouraging as to what he can still do on an NFL field. Now, again, that's a torn ACL and a full year ago or year and a half ago at this point. So... Is he worth fifteen million? Again, it's only eighteen million if he performs and hits those incentives. So if it does end up being eighteen million, that may, that probably means he had a really good season. So let's say fifteen million. Is he worth fifteen million? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If it make, I mean, if it gets Lamar out there week one playing on that franchise tag, I, I say he is worth it. Just because, and again. I mean, and someone asked in the app, is is Jackson worth the headache? I mean, what's if you're the Ravens, what's the alternative? You're gonna run with Tyler Huntley all season at quarterback? I, I mean, I just that's not an option. Well, the great thing for the Baltimore Ravens is they do have a new offensive coordinator, Todd Monken. Yeah. And you have to go ahead and see what Todd Monken can get out of Lamar Jackson, even if he puts on a Ravens uniform. But it definitely, I think. With OBJ joining the roster, it does, even with the Lamar talk and the Lamar struggles, again, if Lamar decides to play, he plays for that $32 million tag this year, and Lamar's worth 32 I do believe, but I Odell so. worth yeah. a 15 no, one year. I, I struggle with the 15 one-year guarantee I mean, for OBJ. That's what top receiver money is. That's honestly less than what top receiver money is. I know, I know that's like a difficult reality to face but in the year 2023 that's what receivers are getting I mean look and, and again I don't think Odell is that Tyreek Devontae Adams level guy anymore but those guys are making upwards of 20 a year so for Odell to get 15 and again it's not a four-year deal it's a one-year deal uh, a one-year prove-it deal if Odell is that guy he is worth $15 million. I, I I don't see this being just a complete disaster for the Ravens. And again, if it gets Lamar Jackson out there, then that, that it's almost worth it alone. It's like it's almost like, oh, you're basically paying $47 million for, for Lamar Jackson. Well, again, o o OBJ with his spectacular catches, his best season in the NFL, 1,450 yards, okay, and 13 touchdowns. And that was that way back. That, that was back in 2015. Now, when you start looking at when he signed with the Browns, I thought that coming into the Browns, 
He was going to come in his first year staying healthy. He was going to come back, and he had 1,000 yards receiving there, but only four touchdowns. But coming off a right knee injury for a wide receiver, having torn up that knee more than once, that's where I struggle with, yes, he's going to be fresh, and he hasn't taken a lot of licks, but that 15 mil guaranteed coming from Lamar Jackson, let's say OBJ goes down, then what do you do? Now, now where are you with the Baltimore Ravens? Well, you're in the exact same spot that exactly, you were in last season. Without a thousand-yard like, receiver. Which, I mean, is not the worst place to be. It's You're a, you're a playoff team with, with the superstar quarterback. Let me ask you this. Who's it, in a worse situation? Who? The Jets with Aaron Rodgers, who may or may not become a Jet, and what he's demanding. He's going to become a Jet. Or whether what Lamar Jackson is going to get with OBJ. I would say I would say the the Jets are in a better situation headed into the season just because I think they're a better roster than the Ravens. But I, I I don't know it's it's kind of an odd comparison. Let me ask you this: if if Odell Beckham is the difference between Lamar Jackson suiting up and playing on that franchise tag, is it worth it at that point? Because I think it is. If, Absolutely, it's worth it. I, if if you can have a healthy OBJ. And Lamar create any type of chemistry for the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah. Absolutely, it's worth it for the Baltimore then Ravens. I, then I think it is worth it because I think this is going to result. Lamar Jackson recruited Odell. It, he didn't recruit Odell to Baltimore because he's going to go play somewhere else. I, I think Lamar is going to play whether they get a deal done or not. $32 million for Lamar, $15 million for Odell. And they're going to go. And Lamar now has a better cast of weapons than he's ever had. So let's see what happens. Can, can the Ravens overtake the Bengals in the AFC no, North. No, but they can complete. They can compete for a playoff spot for sure. That's what they're going to have to do. And I think the name of the game is get in. And Todd Munkin coming in. I want to see T. Martin work with Lamar Jackson. T. Martin being the new quarterback coach for the Baltimore Ravens. That's what I want to see. And with T. Martin having been elevated to that possession position, yeah, you got to you got to root for Todd Munkin as well. And you want to see local folks do as well as possible. But taking over that division just with that one addition, I don't think it's going to get it. Playoff bound? Yeah, I think the Ravens can be playoff bound. On the other side of the break here on the final drive, we'll talk more about Odell's big money deal and who else we think is worth the all-season money coming up here on the final drive. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And again, last night, punches thrown by Rudy Gobert in the NBA contest. But it was against his own teammate, Kyle Anderson. I don't know about you, Bronner, but I don't want a teammate who's going to absolutely try to clock me on national television. He's been suspended one game for their play-in game against the Los Angeles Lakers, and being that huge defensive stopper, that's going to be a huge difference for the Minnesota Timberwolves missing him. But I can't recall seeing that type of altercation to where you actually land a punch against one of your teammates in, the, in, in game action. 
Yeah, not good scenes in Minnesota, and uh, I don't know. You you wouldn't want a teammate who's gonna punch you in the in, probably in the chest? not. Mm. You know, probably not. And some other expletives yelled at him. But again, Rudy Rudy Gobert, yeah, just the blockbuster trade coming from the Utah Jazz. We'll see how that plays off here in the playing games, whether it makes a difference. But we were talking earlier about. Alabama Crimson Tide and the expectations that the new coordinators have placed on themselves. And the players say they like Tommy Reed's swagger. They say that he's going to be a difference maker in regards to being able to relate to them and for them. But Alabama defensively has a lot of players that aren't participating in this spring. And anytime you don't have players that are getting valuable reps, whether they're pegged in last year as the projected starter or not to me it makes a difference when you're able to get those other valuable reps as backups under this new Kevin Steele defense well I think that this year for Alabama is so interesting because perhaps more than any other year I think you're going to have freshman contributions uh, both on offense and defense I, I mean Tony Sakalas brought up Caden Proctor earlier on the offensive line like like he said I, I think Proctor is going to be too good to keep off the field same thing with Caleb Downs in the secondary uh, I think both these guys are going to be uh, end up playing serious minutes and then at running back you know you have Richard Young as well as Justice Haynes you know the two really really talented freshman running backs and then uh, you bring in Malik Benson from Juco who's not the same as a freshman but a guy who is new at Alabama so is not not all that different I, I just think you're going to have a lot of new faces contributing for sure well, is that what it's going to take for the Alabama Crimson Tide? New faces in new positions, or will it be some of the old heads that we're used to that are going to make a difference for this Alabama Crimson Tide? Because, of course, we know Deontay Lawson is out. Dallas yeah. Turner is out. Chris Braswell is out. With those players not playing. Gives guys like Keon Keeley, who's like the number eight recruit in the country or something like that, a chance to make an impact in the spring. I, again, I you know Dallas Turner's job isn't in any jeopardy. You could argue he's the best player on the defense going into the season. But I mean, that being said, it, it does make you question what are the expectations for Alabama this year realistically. Is it a situation still going into this year where anything less than a national championship is a disappointment? I like to think so, but it's at least worth asking the question. Now, from defense, they say defense wins championships. Was Pete Golding the difference as to why this Alabama defense mm. was not a national championship-style defense? Is there a reason Alabama was giving up 52 points? Because, again, Nick Saban's a defensive guy. Of course, I don't think he's going to relieve anyone of their duties at the top of the season or in the middle of the season or at the end of the season. But is Golden's departure and Steele's entrance the difference in Alabama winning a national championship? It is hard to say, uh, I think. A lot of bit, a lot of. I think Alabama fan base in general is, is is pretty down on Pete Golding, and I tried to. I I think until this season, I I, I called Pete Golding a good defensive coordinator, and then, I mean, the defense we talked about before the season, on paper, it, could, it really could have been Nick Saban's best ever, and 
obviously that wasn't the case. The games that Alabama lost in the regular season were solely because, not at least not in L, not solely in the LSU game, but the Tennessee game certainly. I mean, they gave up 52 points and couldn't adjust to anything. Hendon Hooker and Josh Heupel and Jalen Hyatt threw at him. So, I mean, it certainly makes you wonder what, what was Pete Golden doing back there. And then, and then you get shredded in the fourth quarter by Jaden Daniels and LSU. Kind of both of your losses come from the defense not doing its job when it should so it's it's hard to say sit here and say golding was the problem but i think a change was definitely in order well if 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 golding was who a lot of alabama fans wanted to pin this on golding was known as a great recruiter and i think that that's one of the reasons that you see him being in Oxford, Mississippi right now, because he was and is a charismatic I'll tell you what, recruiter. Pete Golding le- like, took that job. At, like, make no mistake, taking the defensive coordinator job at Ole Miss, it's a fine job. That is a that is a demotion from the Alabama defensive coordinator to the Ole Miss defensive coordinator. You don't just do that willingly. Uh, that's you, maybe it was a strong suggestion from Nick Saban that Pete Golding should should go ahead and take that job. But but my question is this, Michael: At what point in time? Because we saw it more so than not with last year's defense, to where you had. The Jimmys and Joes, so someone in the app said. Yeah. But if Saban is a defensive guy, how does this happen week after week after week, especially coming off the Tennessee, okay, you'll say the defense just yeah. gave up too many explosive plays. Yeah, I think but how did it turn around and happen against LSU too? And the beginning of the Kansas State game to where everybody was scratching their heads thinking Alabama's about to get rung up by the Wildcats. Yeah, and, and well, they I will say they adjusted nicely against Kansas State, although I think the quarterback play with, with Kansas State wasn't nearly what they were facing against Tennessee and LSU. I think Saban kind of conveniently avoided criticism for uh for what happened at Tennessee what happened at Tennessee this season was the biggest defensive disaster I I think in the history of Alabama football I don't think that's crazy to say in terms or at least in terms of the Nick Saban dynasty I think it was I mean you could argue uh maybe the national championship game against Clemson where they give up 44 points but to give up 52 points against Tennessee you haven't lost to them in 15 years and it's on the road and it's a game that ultimately was I mean you could say this about either LSU or Tennessee but ultimately that game is the difference in you making the playoff and not making the playoff or at least having a chance to compete for an SEC championship. I think that game is the biggest defensive collapse in Nick Saban's time at Alabama. And it wasn't like Tennessee was doing, showing crazy different looks every time. They were just doing the same thing over and over again. DeMarco Hellams is getting cooked over and over and over again. It's, oh, the Jalen Hyatt gets open play. Oh, what's coming next? And they just couldn't. I mean, I have no confidence. Like, let's say that uh, I can't remember the kicker's name for for Tennessee, but let's say that uh, he had missed. Will Riker needed to make that kick. Even if Will Riker had made it, I have no confidence Alabama would have stopped them, and I have zero confidence they would have been able to win that game in overtime. I It was a, a shredding of epic proportions, that game in Knoxville. And Nick Saban, kind of like I, in, in terms of the fan base at least, kind of avoids criticism for that, and I don't really understand why. I mean, Pete Golding, yes, he deserves criticism as well, but 
I, I mean, and I understand why a change was made, and let's hope Kevin Steele can tighten some things up. I, I'm not supremely confident in that, but I, I hope things will be better. I don't know. Nick Saban certainly deserves more criticism for, for that Tennessee game than, than I think he gets. Well, at the end of the day, it's Nick Saban's program. Exactly. And he, he's the executive, and, and he had the opportunity to make the changes with Pete Golding or to find a way to get someone else to make better decisions than what Golden was making. But you're absolutely right. I think he did help Golden to the door. And it just conveniently, Lane Kiffin was right there for him to be able to scoop up to where it just looks like, okay, I was offered a job by Lane Kiffin, but it was either that or be fired by Alabama. I mean, and there are so, positive things about Pete Golding. He's, he's a phenomenal he, he, recruiter. Me, he, he got out of Tuscaloosa, yeah. doesn't have to deal with, with the type fired. of pressure and being fired, and he's still in the SEC and still gets a chance to get his crack at Alabama. Again, I think the only reason he lasted as long as he did is because he's kind of a recruiting mastermind. But I also think there's a degree at Alabama specifically where the brand almost sells itself a little bit. And, like, yeah, of course, recruiting is hard, but how hard is it really to, to, to recruit? Again, I'm not minimizing the job that recruiters do. It, it's one of the hardest things to do in sports. But, I, I mean, if recruiting for Alabama is a heck of a lot easier than recruiting for, I don't know, Missouri or something like that. So, yes, while Pete Golding did a phenomenal job in the area of recruiting in his time at Alabama and was the lead recruiter for a lot of guys, I mean, the product on the field wasn't good enough. And, yeah, he brought the guys in, but, I mean, you gave you gave him the, the groceries and he didn't make the meal. So, I mean, it was time to move on. Well, I know that Golding had an opportunity, like you said, with what he had, and then he had an alpha dog in the room with Will Anderson Jr. And, and for whatever reason, yeah. Will's production dropped off as well yeah. and did not have the type of productivity that he personally would have liked. Now, is that going to keep him from being the number one overall draft pick? Probably so. But quarterback, to me, is that type of franchise player to Will. If Will would have had back-to-back -back years that he had Coming into Tuscaloosa from freshman to sophomore to junior, and you continue to see that climb out of Will Anderson Jr., there's no doubt in my mind you would be looking to select him as a number one overall draft pick versus taking a quarterback from that franchise position. But at the end of the day, Alabama is going to try to win a national championship with two new coordinators. And only time will tell, and we'll continue to evaluate and take a look at what's put on film and in front of us as we get a chance to see the 8 day game for ourselves. We'll see if Nick Saban can get Alabama back to where everyone is used to it being. Hey, everybody, this is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. the final touches on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Of course, we talked about Auburn's A-Day attendance being listed at 16,000 and whether it was that or not, of course, the weather and how cold it was didn't help with Auburn's A-Day, but they were able to get some four and five star recruits on campus. 
no commitments though and that's what was interesting to me and want to thank all the great guests that were on the final drive today tony sakalis along with kent sterling and zach blackerby all joined us and michael everyone who had an opportunity not to listen to the first couple of hours or missed any portion of today's final drive they can always go back and check out the wonderful WNSP podcast. Always. You can get us, the opening kickoff. You can get the John Ricchetti Golf Show, which is coming up next. You can get Tommy Prater of the Prep Spotlight. All under one umbrella, WNSP Now. You can also get Nick Wiggins' double team with Stephen Root. You can also get my NFL show, Throw It Deep. All again, search WNSP Now wherever you get your podcast. It's all in one nice, convenient place for you, so be sure to check that out. The NBA playoffs start tomorrow, so, of course, we'll dibble and dabble a little bit of in that tomorrow. Of course, we mentioned Rudy Gobert being suspended for throwing a punch at his teammate during a call timeout. Won't get a chance to play in that play-in game versus the Lakers, so suspended officially for one game. We'll, we'll dive into how the NBA is going to play itself out here. Is LeBron James going to be able to save the Lakers? That's a question that a lot of people want to know. And, of course, we'll come back at you again tomorrow talking football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner as well. We'll have Q Myers on talking. What will the Las Vegas Raiders do? We'll have Chris Gordy locked on SEC as well. Another great edition of the final drive here on WNSP. Hope everyone's had a magnificent Monday, and we'll do it all again tomorrow.